You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. And welcome to For the Lore. This is Joe coming to you on Monday, July 17th. And with me today, well, you're going to notice a little bit of an odd turn of events because Vince is here, Whoa. but Roger isn't. It's craziness. Yeah. I, I, eventually, all three of us will be on a show again. I mean, I just assume that you tried to kill Roger after several weeks of him, you know, replacing you. Or, you know, talking about your demise. I, I mean, he can try. <laughs> So we got a good show for you today. Uh, we're going to start out with talking about something that's near and dear to my heart, and you might hear Vince snore a little bit, so I apologize in advance, but don't worry, we'll poke him later. It's okay, um, I'm just working on D&D maps while you're talking. <laughs> uh, that's good, because we're going to need them, especially when I try to... Mer- I'm sorry, what? Um, so we're going to be talking about a little bit about World of Warcraft, because a huge, huge update is coming in the next patch. Uh, so patch... 7.25 just came out, and that was the Tomb of Sargeras raid with all of the raid content and story up through that point. We're already starting to see 7.3 in the works. And 7.3 is kind of the biggest content push they've done outside of an expansion because not only is it introducing new content, it's introducing an entire fucking new planet. Uh, we are going to Argus, and we are going to have massive zones to quest through not just dungeons, not just raids, though those are still going to happen as well. They're giving us an entire planet. That's kind of huge, because the last time they did that, it was an expansion in and of itself. Uh, We get there on a ship that was born out of the Exodar, very much like Farscape, uh, which I feel is an interesting callback to some of the older sci-fi of the 90s. Uh, And there's a ton of stuff going on, uh, mostly because this content patch is doing something that no other... Uh, expansion has or content patch has really really done and it's giving us definitive titan information now if you're new to world warcraft titans were the things that created the universe they ordered uh everything and they were born from planets they basically hatched out of these these world eggs and uh sargeras the main antagonist for quite a large uh, section of the games the the mind behind the burning legion Uh, the one that has built them to scour the universe in fire. Well, he was once a Titan, and we're going to his, what we think is his home planet, to kind of kick his ass. But along the way, we're actually finding out that, and this is where some spoilers are going to come in, those Titans that we thought he killed in this big conflict way long ago that was talked about in Chronicle and all these other publications, yeah, they're not quite dead. Turns out Sargeras actually captured them and, well, has been trying to torture them and bring them over to his side. And in some cases, he actually did. Uh, So you're starting to see other Titans that we are going to have to fight, whether they're broken or diminished in their their form. But it's an interesting thing because they're they're putting end caps on story that have been out there for 15 years at this point. And it's kind of a huge deal. Uh, Not only are we getting tons of new story and just from not just in the raid, but also with dungeons and the quests, 
there's going to be uh, a rift system being put into place. Uh, very similar to Diablo 3 with the greater rifts, there's going to be invasion points where you can go into different legion worlds and sort of do this dynamic content, which is actually pretty nifty. It's something that a lot of players have been asking for for a long time. Looks like we're finally going to get that. Overall, it's just, it's that content patch alone has so much in it. It's almost frightening. It's... And I don't, I'm, I mean, just listening to you talk about it, I'm really impressed. Like, I can't think of the last time we saw this amount of actual content for free from Warcraft in a long time. And, and that's, yeah, and that's really the thing to put about it, too, is it's free. Like, yes, you pay your monthly sub, but you're not paying an expansion price or a content price like you do with some of the other games or stuff like this. This is all free. And the zones are massive and beautiful and varied as well. And, and that's one of the interesting things, too, because a lot of people were very afraid that uh, Argus was going to be this this fell-swept landscape, that it's all going to be green and black and purple. It's not. There are actual different worlds that will look like we're going to be visiting from there because the Legion invades worlds, so they use portals, and they, they sort of had this thing down pat. Well, we're going to be using that to go elsewhere as well. There's going to be, I think there's 15 different biomes uh, being introduced across a couple different planets, three massive zones. And to put that in perspective, uh, the entirety of Legion, where all the content happened, had five zones. Five. That's we're crazy. getting, yeah, we're getting almost a little bit more than half of that as just an ex expansion add on to it. And if that wasn't enough, they're going back and they're redoing all of the spellcaster animations. And wow. this is kind of. Yeah, all of them. The only ones that don't have anything right this second are warlocks, but uh, shaman, priests, uh, mages, all versions of them are getting massive updates. And they're good, too. Like, I'm looking at some of these new animations, and me being a shaman player, the casting animations for Elemental and Restoration are fucking gorgeous. And we're talking, like, multiple spell effects and particle effects. Uh, Chain Heal is no longer just this weird little tiny beam that it's been for 10 years at this point. It's this big conflux of energy that actually looks like a water beam being thrown at players. Uh, they're actually going through and, and investing in it. And there's also new sounds that come along with it, new uh, effects on contact. It's just a massive upgrade to what everybody thought was never going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and while Warlocks may not be getting their update in 7.3 at release, eh, they're talking about very shortly after. Um, and it looks like we're not going to be waiting too long for it. This patch, it looks like it's going to be dropping uh, probably around September. But with that massive amount of content, I I'm content to wait a little bit. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, even I can't talk shit about this. <laughs> Well, and for those of you that maybe don't, how do I put this? For those of you that like to collect adorable things, there's also going to be a ton of new pets and mounts. There's also some creepy ones as well um, that you can go through and grab, and it's it's going to be great. Now, while I'm excited about that, I think Vince was also excited about another game that, well, unfortunately, I'm not too up to date on. Uh, I believe it's Nino Kuni 2. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it's close enough. You tried. I tried. <laughs> no, nah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, Nino Kuni 2. We were uh, heavily anticipating it uh, coming up later this year. 
until uh, Bandai Namco, specifically Akihiro Hino, the director of the game, as well as straight up being the CEO of Level 5, the company developing it, uh, released a statement. And this wasn't what we see, you know, usually it's just a little press release. Like he actually recorded a video speaking to the fans. So I have to give him a lot of respect for that. Announcing that the game will be delayed until January 19th because, you know, there's still a little more work they need to put on it. It's not quite going to make its original November shipping date. But I mean, I'm perfectly okay with that because the last thing I need in the middle of a busy gaming season is a big 70 hour RPG. <laughs> I mean, so, uh, that's a matter of perspective. I think you need it. Well, I mean, this way I could spend more time with Destiny 2 and all the other fun stuff that's like, going to be out at the time, not to mention all the games from you know, last year I still haven't played. <laughs> and then come January, you know, when typically the gaming landscape is a little more calm, although, you know, this year, January through March was absolutely insane. But, you know, hopefully it'll be a little cleaner this year and can sit down and really give this game the the time that it's going to deserve. So I'm perfectly OK with it. And oddly enough, a lot of the fans are like, yeah, take your time, because we've seen very recently other developers who have had delays and not met with quite as much understanding from their fan bases. Yeah. And that and in January is an interesting time frame, too, because there's been a lot of pushback that have been targeting January specifically, which is weird. And you're absolutely right. Like a lot of the fan bases don't understand when a game is pushed back or delayed. And I, I understand, I get it. But at the same point, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a quality product of something you enjoy? Or would you rather have something that was rushed out the door to meet your demands that wasn't finished? Mm -hmm. And I just got done looking through uh, a list of actual failed games or games that didn't live up to their hype. And almost every single one of them was either delayed like ad nauseum or were rushed out the door to meet an arbitrary date that somebody picked and they just sucked. And from what I understand from uh, the Nino Kuni, like just fan base in general, they'd rather have quality. And I'm okay with that. I think that's. I smart. mean, they've already waited how many years? A couple more months isn't going to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> Try explaining that to some gamers, though. I know. But he also talked about because uh, when they were at E3, yeah, he was giving some interviews and he talked about the multiplayer component for the game. And a lot of people were both confused and scared about having a multiplayer component for what's ostensibly, you know, a single player story driven RPG. And he actually did clarify that uh, through translations, as well as just probably being exhausted from E3, uh, he actually misheard the statement and that the game will have like online functionality in the form of, you know, be it DLC or actual like in-game events that'll, you know, obviously be shared amongst you know social media accounts and websites and whatnot so it, it will be it will have an online presence but it's still entirely a single player rpg so that that was nice to get that clarification as well although it's a shame because i know a lot of people are excited about the idea of having that be a multiplayer experience i i wasn't one of them really yeah like i have nothing against multiplayer but especially because you didn't play the first one like so much of what made the first one as gripping as it was, was just getting lost in that fantasy world. And I, I don't think I would have had quite the same experience if there were other players there, because especially with an RPG that's so character driven, like Nino Kuni was, it's not just about, you know, you, it, you have, you know, the expanded cast, the other members of your party who develop and grow alongside the main character. So putting multiplayer in, I, I don't know. It, it, I'm not against it in, in RPGs in general, but especially with Nino Kuni, it just didn't feel right to me. 
Fair enough. But hey, at least you uh, you're getting what you, I don't want to say you're getting what you want, but you got your clarification and it's not ruining anything. So hey, mm-hmm. and again, a lot of respect for you know them actually like speaking to the fans, literally speaking to them instead of just uh, putting out a press release. Yeah, I will definitely give them big kudos for that. Now, also big kudos is another thing that uh, was, I don't want to say spoiled, but revealed or or given to us at D23, and that was Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah, yeah, D23 uh, was this past week, and that's Disney's big, like, annual expo where they show off movies and theme park stuff and resorts and now also their digital media, including video games. And... Renee's not around, is she? Nope, nope, nope. She's not here to squee. Okay. I don't care about Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I I tapped out of that franchise about a decade ago, and I haven't looked back, and I don't regret it. That said, I've always, at least in the mainline Kingdom Hearts games, I've always respected how they were able to like meld these different universes together and give us this this glimpse into these Disney worlds and, you know, new stylized ways and having characters that, you know, wouldn't typically be in those settings kind of blend in with costumes. Like, it was always really fun. So what we saw here in the D23 trailer for Kingdom Hearts 3, which swears it'll be out in 2018, we'll see, <laughs> is Sora, Goofy, and Donald visiting the Toy Story world. And it's not like, like we saw with, you know, Halloween Town or... In, in you know the Lion King or any other places they visited over the series, it's not a, a different twist on it. It's not, you know, it, it's not a video game interpretation of that world. No, it's just straight up actual Toy Story, and it it's visually indistinguishable from the movies, and it blew me away. Yeah, and and so unlike you, I am a huge fan of the Kingdom Hearts series, and when I saw this, my I don't want to say my mind was blown, but it makes perfect sense with the way technology has come, especially for video games, how far it's come since the last time we've had a solid Kingdom Hearts release. This is some of the most powerful hardware we've ever had access to. It's basically a computer at, at equal to almost anything somebody can put on their desk and having it rendered like it's a straight up Pixar movie. It just makes fucking sense. And it's gorgeous. It is it is absolutely gorgeous. And I like the uh, the little visual ticks to like uh, the fact that Sora, Goofy and uh, Donald are action figures, mm-hmm. which just makes perfect sense. Uh, it's just it's really, really well done. The voice acting is amazing. And he went through an anime phase <laughs> and, and he totally went through an anime phase. But the fact that we can pot now start seeing worlds like this where they look just as good as if you were watching a movie. That's what we've been waiting for. That's what we've been wanting. And I, when I saw this, I damn near lost my mind because I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. How, how'd you enjoy Japanese Buzz and Woody? That was hysterical. <laughs> so since you're a fan of the franchise, explain to me exactly what the hell's going on there. Not in general, just specific to what we saw in this video. So essentially the Heartless, do you know what the Heartless are? Yes. Okay. Those are the little shadow guys. Well, they work for uh, a a villain or something that's trying to uh, steal 
the heart or joy from all of the world, right, right? right? So it's trying to corrupt it and take them away, which is why you have like weird Sephiroth versus Sora. Sephiroth is sort of evil, so he works for the Heartless. It, it, it's it winds up getting a little complicated, but the the whole point of it is the Heartless have come to Toy Story World and are trying to take that happiness away. And they're taking people away and trying to make them also heartless. It's like a spreading infection. So, because yeah, the, the last time I played a Kingdom Hearts game, it was Kingdom Hearts 2. No weird decimal points or anything like the actual Kingdom Hearts 2 on PS2. So, I have no idea what's happened in all the weird intervening games. So, I, I recognized some of the names and terms, but I'm complete. <laughs> I, I was just completely lost on the context. It's been so long. Yeah, I just know that once the game is released, which I can't wait for it to be released uh i'll be able to give you a full report because i between tart and myself we're probably going to pour a ton of hours into it okay cool now speaking of something that i had no idea about or really what the hell was going on for a little bit uh this game called redeemer which is a top-down action game about an elite spy assassin named vasily which of course is named vasily uh who after a long career escapes his corporate overlords just before they turn him into a cyborg murder machine and then he becomes a monk that's the worst time to escape you want to be the cyborg murder machine if i've learned anything from overwatch you want to become the cyborg murder machine that's just how this works but that said it looks really interesting almost like an action movie done in an isometric top-down style which is kind of cool and it looks bloody and visceral and it has all sorts of weapons and like everything from knives and batons to fire axes and hammers, uh, tons of guns. It looks like at some point you could use other enemies as a weapon, <laughs> which is always fun when you can beat a motherfucker with another motherfucker. And that just looks cool. And apparently there's going to be combos and, uh, a very deep combat system for it, which is cool. Uh, but not only is it going to be combat heavy, there is going to be a story-driven campaign that you can start to uncover the past of the silly and learn what happened, where he left the corporate you know, overlords behind, why he went to the monastery, why he's even looking for inner peace, uh, because that's not a thing murderers tend to do all, you know, so much. And there's also apparently multiple ways to complete every encounter. So you can have a noisy approach. And their example is, well, you can take a chainsaw to the face kind of person, or you can go with a stealth touch. And they showed off, like, there are some stealth executions where you sneak up on somebody and you murder the shit out of them. That reminds me of something almost out of, like, Manhunt. Uh, I'm interested in this one quite a bit, actually. The one thing that'll really sell me on this game, like, I mean, it's interesting, but it, there's not much, you know, that, like, grips me, per se. But what I would like to see them do, and I, I really hope they do this, because the entire concept is, you know, former hired killer tries to reform and, you know, find peace and solitude. There has to be a way to do a pacifist playthrough of this game. Where, you know, he actually does find that inner solitude and refuses to to change the person he's become. And that, I think, would be, like, have this ridiculously amazing combat system you put all this time into, but still have a way that that's not required because that's, like, a cool character bit. 
that would really fit in with the game. I, I doubt that's what they're going to do because, again, they're building everything around this bloody, amazing combat system. But that's really the only thing I think that would really get me to look at the game beyond now that, just, yeah, it's cool. That said, I mean, who knows? There might be a pacifist category for speedruns where, you know, you fight for yeah, how to well, glitch past bosses and stuff. That, that's completely different, though. <laughs> that's not in the game for per se. I know, I know. But it's, I mean, it's still an exciting thing, at least for me, because I like games like this. And it, it's a smaller scale uh, item. It's not a triple A mm-hmm. sort of thing. It's not like, it's not Diablo. It's not uh, one of those other big titles. It's this little indie production that really, that for lack of a better term, gives a shit about story inside of their game instead of just making a game. And the price point's pretty cheap, too. Like, it's available for pre-order right now on Steam and, and GOG, and it's only 15 bucks. which, I mean, we're seeing a lot more games enter into that sort of market. And I like the idea of having this sort of isometric action game kind of slide into there where it's been mostly dominated by RPGs and platforms. So it's it's growth, at the very least. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not against it. I'm just saying it, it doesn't do much for me personally, but it could. Fair enough. Now, what about this Dauntless game? Yeah, Dauntless. I remember we talked about this when the the trailer premiered at PAX. Was it last year or earlier this year? And like it was just a really cool trailer. We had no idea what the hell the game was about, but it was these four cool-looking heroes fighting a giant owlbear. So, of course, it caught our interest. (laughs) And I completely forgot about it until Roger uh, posted this RPS article describing more about what the game's about and that... It's essentially a, a, a twist on the Monster Hunter formula. Now, I don't know about you, but I have tried to play several Monster Hunter games. Never yes. quite got into any of them. Nope. But what they're claiming that their goal is here with Dauntless, and this is uh, from Phoenix Lab is the name of the developer. Uh, what they're claiming to do here is potentially going to clear up a lot of my problems with Monster Hunter. Because the whole point of Monster Hunter is you go out, you grind and grind and grind and grind and grind. It's a Japanese game. There's a lot of grinding. Uh, <laughs> you know, until you have enough, you know, monster parts to build yourself, you know, a cool suit of armor and uh, a nice weapon. And then you go grind on bigger monsters and you, know, you continue that until you eventually you start, you know, fighting dinosaurs and stuff where the boss fights can take hours in and of themselves. And Dauntless says they want to take a lot of that grinding aspect out of the game. They they want players to go in there, kill a few monsters, and just be able to do the cool stuff and progress, which, again, potentially, we'll see. (laughs) But what makes this really interesting is that it's actually also going to be a free-to-play experience. And there's a lot of concerns, of course, for a game that potentially has a large time investment and it's in it's a game entirely built around getting cool loot and looking awesome and being able to get better loot and look more awesome when you put microtransactions into that it's a concern they again say that yeah you can the microtransactions are for you know extra effects and you know cool cosmetic stuff but they are adamant that if you want all the cool shit in the game you actually do have to go earn it Uh, one of the features that they talked about that i actually really do find cool is that your hero is going to carry a banner around with them that they can set down. And that banner, much like Diablo 2, 
uh, but where, you know, as you completed new things in the game, you could unlock you know, new sigils and whatnot. But the way they say it's it's going to be more like a living, growing thing. It's not just you unlock different options. Like your banner will become more intricate as you continue to climb your way up the food chain and fight and kill bigger enemies. So it, it's a cool way of being able to show off a, a lot of, you know, what you've done beyond just having the armor. And that's important because online and multiplayer gameplay is also a big part of uh, the way these games work because the bigger, badder monsters, you need a group of people to take them down, which, again, is one of the things that bugged me about Monster Hunter specifically because Monster Hunter for... I don't know if it's ever had a console release prior to Monster Hunter World coming up because I know it was on the PSP and then it moved on to the 3DS. There was a Monster Hunter on Wii U. Okay, there you go. Yeah. But even with Wii U, that still kind of... Uh, goes into my argument here that if it's primarily a portable game or on a Nintendo console, <laughs> online connectivity is not always a given. Yep. So, if, you know, if, if I'm on the bus or, you know, <laughs> whatever, and, and I want to do something in one of these games, well, I'm basically stuck to killing rats, if you will, because I can't go and hunt any of the bigger monsters because I don't have online. I can't get any of my friends around. I can't even find a group. I can't go kill anything cool. And they're saying that they really want being able to solo to be part of the design. I, I'm sure there's going to be giant enemies that you need a group for, if you will, but they're focused on, you know, making the enemies scalable where, yeah, if you bring four friends, you can go fight this enemy and get a cool fight. But if you want to do it yourself, it's still possible. And and they're, they're talking about the way healing mechanics work and uh, the various weapons, which the weapons look cool as shit. Again, that was a very Monster Hunter thing of all the weapons have like different fighting styles. Well, here, if you're using the giant hammer, it's also got a shotgun in the handle. <laughs> so because why not? I mean, yeah, but it's not just, you know, you smack it with your hammer and you shoot it. You can also do rocket jumps, if you will, and throw yourself at the enemy using the shotgun blast. And they, they talked about like the, the chain weapons that you can drag yourself closer to the enemies and do all kinds of crazy aerial combos and stuff. So there's a lot to look forward to. I adore the art style. It looks amazing. I'm interested in it. And you know, when it comes out, I'll be sure to give it a shot because I have literally nothing to lose if it's free to play. Yeah. And if I, if I step in and it's, you know, still a little too grindy or not engaging for walk me, walk away. Exactly. No, no cost on my end other than the time it takes to download it. Yeah, and I'm kind of excited about that fact, too, because, I mean, with Monster Hunter, it's always a 60 or $50 investment to try it. And then if you run into the same situation where it's like it's too grindy or you just don't care for it, you're stuck. Uh, here, it sounds like they're offering a whole lot of solutions to a whole lot of problems. So I am super interested. and I'm definitely going to be trying this out with you when uh, when it gets released. Did they Did they say when it was due out? Uh, they claim it's going to be out on PC this year. It's going into its founders alpha beta phase starting uh, next month in August. So we'll see how that goes. Because I know like the, this article was going into some of the stuff that was in like the early alpha where they tested out some things and you know they're still obviously finding what works and what doesn't. So I don't know how far along they are into the development process now that the, the founders, they're still calling it an alpha. Uh, is go is gonna go and you know if they're gonna go back in and make more big mechanical changes, but we'll see. Yeah, and I guess uh, I don't know. Like that's one thing that I don't know if it bothers you as much as it bothers me. The weird distinction between alpha and beta seems to be blurred nowadays. So, 
I, I mean, now they're at the point where, you know, if you get in on the founder's level, like now, now they're, but used to be, you know, if you want to pre-order, you get on the beta, like that was acceptable. <laughs> so, but like, yeah, like alpha is supposedly like, you know, an internal thing. Like you, you don't really, I wouldn't want to play an alpha as like a marketing device, if you will. Like it's cool to like see what's going on, but you know. I, I don't know if I'd want to play a game in such an unpolished state, but you know, again, who knows this, this alpha, it, it might be a blizzard alpha where it's essentially a finished product. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Now, speaking of visually interesting, and I'm going to mention this because Roger's not here and I feel like I need to throw him a bone just because uh, he found this thing, Marvel powers United. And of course, because it's Roger VR, <laughs> And it was a reveal trailer uh, that was actually a couple days ago uh, from Senzaru Games, and it looks like it's an Oculus Rift game. And it looks interesting. You actually start playing as various Marvel superheroes. Like, you get their powers. And they show off a few of them. Like, they show off being the Hulk and getting to smash and throw things around or, you know, Captain Marvel's energy blast and being able to zap enemies or shrinking down into an angry, furry rocket raccoon with big guns and just blowing shit up. It, I mean, this is something that I know a lot of people have been asking for since VR has become a thing, uh, but we don't know enough quite yet. So the only the only things we've seen so far of the, the three heroes, uh, what looks like some gameplay from it, uh, but I'm definitely intrigued because if they expand that out or, you know, depending on how many heroes they have or what power sets they include, that could actually be a lot of fun. Well, it's like, remember a couple years ago that uh, I think it was an Avengers game, but it, yeah, it had to have been an Avengers game that never made it past like alpha phase, but we got like some leaked footage of it. It was essentially like a first person Avengers game where you had Iron Man's repulsors and Captain America shields and, you know, Hulk being Hulk. And it looked cool. And I can easily see that same exact concept being repurposed uh, for VR. I mean, why not? And again, it's it with everything coming with VR like it has been recently. It's a perfect time to do it. It just why not just make let us be fucking superheroes. Now, if they can make me fly, that'd be great. But yeah, I'm just thinking of like the motion sickness side of it. I'm fine. I don't have a problem with it, but it'd be awesome. Yeah. But I think that will actually wrap it up for today. Short show, but a quality show. Uh, Hey, Roger's not here, right? That's true. We didn't have a lot of arguing this time. Well, beyond that, this weekend was Evo. Oh. (laughs) The world's largest fighting game tournament. The things I'm not allowed to talk about. Would you would you like to take this opportunity to maybe fill us in on the Evo? Well, I won't get into all, all the tournament stuff, but it was an amazing show this year. Uh, it's nice to see, you know, the uh, fighting game community leveling up in their esports endeavors. Uh, they did a really good job on production this year. They were both on ESPN and they actually had uh, broadcast time on Disney XD. Really? Yes. The Smash 4 finals on Sunday were broadcast on Disney XD. That that's actually phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But we actually did get uh, some uh, big reveals as well. Uh, you know, the new Street Fighter character, nothing terribly interesting there, although it's um, one of the boss characters from Final Fight uh, is being added into Street Fighter V, so that's cool. 
I always love to see this final fight guy show up in Street Fighter. Still waiting on Hagar. Uh, but the the two big ones are, uh, well, actually three big ones. Uh, they showed off some more stuff of Marvel versus Capcom Infinite. Uh, we actually got to see gameplay of Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy. She really? looks absolutely badass. With, well, uh, she both, better. With both uh, blaster pistols and a giant freaking sword. But uh, the big surprise there was uh, Jetta, the villain from Darkstalkers 3, is actually going to be in the game. And okay, he looks so that awesome. explains... That explains why Ellie was going crazy about Dark Soccer's. Yeah, yeah. On Twitter. Uh, the other one is uh, Tekken 7 announced their next DLC character. And what they're doing with their DLC stuff in Tekken 7 is they're all like guest appearances. The first one was Akuma from Street Fighter. And the second one is going to be Geese Howard from the uh, King of Fighters and Fatal Fury games, which I'm not a big fan of, but a lot of people went nuts for that one. He does look really cool in, in Tekken, though. That is but pretty cool. The biggest one for me is Arc System Works, the uh, preeminent uh, designer when it comes to anime fighting games. They showed off more of Dragon Ball Fighter Z with uh, gameplay of Trunks. Who we, we got a screenshot of him a couple weeks ago, but actually seeing him in motion, the game looks, it looks literally like an anime. It's so <laughs> smooth. The, the animation is so crisp. It looks absolutely amazing and this uh, was and that, gameplay footage this wasn't like pre-rendered or anything no no this was actual gameplay footage wow and it's going to be going into a beta i think next month which with uh nine playable characters and they only announced seven so far uh goku vegeta gohan uh cell majin Buu, frieza and now trunks so there's two more characters to be announced very soon if Hercule's not one of them, I'm going to be real oh, upset. God. He has to be. Uh, but again, the the most amazing one for me, uh, also coming from Arc System Works, is uh, Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle, which is uh, crossing over their uh, Blaze Blue franchise with uh, Undernight Rebirth. I, I don't know exactly what it's called. It's just, I just know that uh, it's anime as hell, and it's uh, typically referred to as Uniel among the fighting game community. I've never played any of the games uh, crossing over that, those two, with the Persona 4 fighting game. Okay. And then crossing all of that over with Ruby, the Rooster Teeth animated series, which, if you haven't seen it, is absolutely amazing. Huh. That is a surprising amount of content for fighting genre. Well, keep in mind, Arc System Works, uh, prior to Guilty Gear XR and now Dragon Ball Fighter Z, uh, all of those previous games used uh, actual like 2D sprites. So it's very easy to recycle those into new games. <laughs> so I think aside from the Ruby characters and maybe one or two previously, you know, unseen characters, it's all going to be a lot of recycled assets. But that's OK, because recycling assets is how you get crazy, awesome games like that. <laughs> hey, fair enough. But yeah, that, that's my uh, fighting game chat for the year. Every, everybody should feel really happy for Vince, so I'll, I'll give you a second. Okay, good. All right. Well, that'll wrap us up today. Uh, you can go ahead and find us online at For the Lore. Uh, I'm LoderZJ, Vince is Simodian on Twitter. Uh, you can tell Roger how great the show was without him uh, and how much you nah, missed I mean, Vince or how much you missed Vince uh, at Zen Buddhist. Uh, and you can find our episodes on iTunes and Stitcher, as well as all of our RPG ones with a fantastic episode zero for Tales from the Loop. 
the ongoing Shadowrun campaign and uh, what is going to be a rather interesting D&D campaign, I think, coming up. I, just, I don't know. I think the last one was the interesting one. This one is actually going to be like proper D&D. <laughs> oh, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, what have you done? Oh, oh, no, it's not. Don't worry. You'll find it. <laughs> but with that, we'll talk to you guys later. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.